Well, hello and welcome to another edition of Health Solutions with Sean and Janet Needham, where Team Needham discusses everything healthcare. I'm your host, Sean Needham, and my wonderful wife is running the pharmacy right now, and we are excited to have Dr. Brandon Penix on our show in our studio live today at the Mosley Professional Pharmacy Studio. So, uh, Dr. Penix, welcome to our show. Thank you very much for having me. So introduce yourself a little bit, um, you know, where you went to school, where you grew up, all that kind of stuff, and then why you ran for hospital board. So I was born in Michigan State and uh, born in Lansing, moved with my parents to the East Coast and grew up in the Philly area between New Jersey and Pennsylvania. I wound up going to college at Swarthmore College at uh, the suburbs of Philadelphia and then went to Philadelphia College of Osteopathic Medicine, joined the Army. Did uh, seven years in the Army as a uh, general medical officer, uh, performing duties such as the Warrior Transition Battalion Surgeon, trying to improve and rehab people who were injured in combat and try to get them back to duty and or find them uh, new employment uh, in the community. Uh, I then left the military and became an occupational medicine physician and was brought here by Samaritan Healthcare to try to start an employee and occupational medicine program. Okay, and now you are running for um, hospital commissioner, public hospital district number one commissioner, correct? Yes, I watched a variety of colleagues leave the hospital and choose to go elsewhere um, and not really stay in the area. Uh, I came to the conclusion that uh, for my own specialty, uh, that public hospital systems and hospital systems in general just don't do a good job with the marketing aspect of uh, occupational medicine. We work more directly with employers and rather than insurance companies. And so I elected to uh, start my own practice and leave the hospital and try to uh, continue the mission as a independent clinic, seeing that it would offer me more opportunities to be flexible and work with the area employers to bring more business to the community. Awesome. So what makes you think that you are qualified to be a public hospital commissioner and how would you be different than what the commissioners are doing now? I think it'd be very important to have a physician member of the uh, commissioner staff simply because we have a very frequent turnover of physicians at the hospital. It seems that most of the people are three and done um, or two and done in completing their commitments and leaving. Uh, I think we need to focus on figuring out exactly why people are leaving. Uh, I don't feel it is simply facility driven where they were leaving for newer facilities. I think it has to do with the people that you're recruiting. It has to do with individual motivations. You can't generalize it to being uh, a new facility. Yeah, so um, what? let's talk about the most recent thing that happened at the hospital and uh, the levy. There was a recent uh, levy that passed. Um, what are your thoughts about the levy? Um, my feeling is that this is a public hospital. Uh, they already received taxpayer funding and they had actually received a big USDA loan uh, to fund the hospital. Uh, so I was very confused when a levy was put forward. Other than that, I, to my understanding, uh, the maximal price was higher than the loan they had received from the federal government. And so then they turned to the community. Uh, I feel that if you know we had better worked our financial situation and taken into account a lot of different factors, um, we wouldn't be at this levy point today. Uh, my belief is in fiscal conservatism. I like that we take account of what we need to be doing and actively represent ourselves uh, such that we have supervision over what's going on. We need to be able to make good decisions and try to inform our constituents of what was going on. 
I feel like it was a, a vote of if you're not for the levy, you're against a new hospital. And I feel like that's not the appropriate uh, light to shine on that problem. Yeah, I'm with you. Well, first, first of all, I, I don't believe in any levy or any bond. And I, I'm, I'm kind of the guy, you're going to laugh at this, but I'm kind of the guy that believes that taxation is theft. So, um, which, you know, if it's not voluntary, if somebody's taking my money non-voluntarily, it is theft per definition. I'm not saying taxes aren't needed, but, you know, my thing with levies and bonds is it's just never enough. And I think this hospital levy is a perfect example. Um, they, they, they already have, you know, especially when you compare them to other taxing districts, um, whether it be um, the fire district, whether it be, you know, let's just say a minimal, you know, junior taxing district, like the Mosquito District. Or Quincy Public Hospital that's not requiring a public levy building right. facility. And think about, compare Quincy to Samaritan. Samaritan, and most public hospitals, the, the especially Samaritan, I've been on the board of Samaritan, um, most of their um, income is fee-driven not not um, taxpayer um, support from property tax. So most of their money comes from fees. So why do they need a levy um, to, to, to build a hospital is unbelievable to me. And I think it's just because they squander their money like a lot of public hospitals do, like a lot of public entities do. They just squandered their money. You know, it's like uh, the federal government uh, spent a lot of time in the Army, and as the budget year would roll around, fiscal year comes to an end, uh, everybody would try to spend their money so they have the same thing next year. Um, they wouldn't try to conserve things. It was just all about spending what was available. Otherwise, you get less next year. So um, I think we just need to have better oversight. The oversight is the key. People need to ask appropriate questions, and if you don't know the questions to ask, you've got to, you know, seek input from the outside, you know, try to inform yourself better about what you're voting on and whether these decisions make sense. And too frequently, I think that it's just a all or nothing. We just, you know, walk along and give the answer of yes, because, you know, again, it's that same thing back to the whole thing with the levy. If you're not for the agenda, then you're against the hospital. And I think you can be for the hospital and not give a yes answer every time to every request. Well, I think, you know, in 1999, I was actually elected uh, as commissioner of public hospital, and we went through a lot of changes, good changes, I think. Um, and one of the things that was talked about is the administration talked about not wanting people on the board that had an agenda. And my thought about that was, is don't you want people on the hospital commission that have an agenda? Let's say you. I, I don't think you can ever operate in a vacuum. One person's ideas need to be questioned at all times. We need to take different approaches to the problem and try to figure out what the best solution is. If you don't have a sounding board for your ideas, you can't go to somebody and actually say, okay, well, what are your thoughts? What are you trying to accomplish? What do you think this community needs? It doesn't all need to be just driven by one opinion followed by five yeses. Now, I have another question for you. So what are your thoughts? I, I think, um, you know, some people think that when you are elected to a public hospital commission that you represent administration or even the hospital. And, and really, you don't represent the hospital. You represent the taxpayers because that's who elected you. Yes. Do you want to expand on that? So I think you need to be responsible to the community members that elect you. You shouldn't be responsible to the administration. The administration should work for the community and the community should elect the commissioners to basically hold the hospital accountable. 
Yeah, absolutely. You know, I know when there's an organizational chart floating around um, the hospital 20 years ago when I was on the board, I made sure that they put on the organizational chart taxpayers at the top. It goes taxpayers, board of commissioners, administration, and then that organizational chart on down. And it's important in a public entity that people realize that it's the taxpayers that you know, should be driving things. And if things aren't going right from the taxpayers, if the taxpayers didn't like the levy, um, then they need to elect new commissioners so they can get, and the commissioners can actually drive who the administration is. Um, in, in the hospital district, in that in public hospital district number one, Grant County Public Hospital District number one, Samaritan, um, the commissioners can actually hire, one of the people they can hire and fire is the administrator. And a lot of this stuff is driven from the administrator, especially if the commissioners are not doing their due diligence. Yeah, it's a, it's a top-down leadership, and you know the commissioner's responsibility is to ensure that the CEO is acting with the best interests of the town. Yeah, that's exactly right. So there was um, – wh- where did the finances go? There was a lot of – over the last three years, there was a lot of COVID money that hospitals got. And I don't care if they're public, private, nonprofit, for-profit, small, large, they all got COVID money. Those are just the facts. Where did all this COVID money go? Why couldn't they save some of that money to put away so they could um, make capital improvements and, and buildings? I mean, I don't get to float a levy or, or a bond to, to have somebody build my building. Um, I've got to save money through my operations. Why can't the hospital do the same? I mean, I think there was all that COVID money, but there was also lack of elective surgeries, lack of, you know, other surgical procedures that drive a lot of revenue. I mean, there were large numbers of admissions. Um, those admissions were the COVID money that was received by the uh, um, the hospital. Uh, I can't speak to it. I was not on the board and we were privy to very little information from that regard. And I, I did come in in 2021. 20, uh, and so therefore, didn't really, it was kind of on the tail end of a lot of those things. Um, and as I came in, it seemed like there was a mass exodus of people out. Um, and so questions I had was how how was adequately done and how they were performed, what the clinics did to try to maintain revenue, um, how they could have done better to, you know, keep everybody healthy in the community. I mean, you've got to, you got to look at it that way. Um, we're here to try to help the community and whatever needs to be done to improve care for them is what we need to look at. You know, what type of uh, specialties we're bringing to the area, um, how you're going to grow the hospital, but to fund a new building of the same size um, while legally required under the their USDA loan and their, their mission um, seems a little silly as we grow to such large extent with a lot of the new employers coming to the area, Group 14, SELA, uh, 12. There's a lot of big business coming here. And I don't feel like without a good plan how to manage the space that they're leaving, uh, we don't have the plan for the future. So is that true on the levy? The levy is going to be basically the same, the, uh, the footprint as the the building that the hospital has now. Yes, they will have the same 50-bed capacity. Um, I, I know that's a little bit general because uh, bed capacity doesn't always mean a lot. Like, for instance, Othello Hospital, I think, has a 50-bed hospital. Um, but their revenue compared to Samaritan is a lot different. So what about building size with that levy? Is is it going to be bigger facilities? Do we know yet? 
I think that the plan is to enlarge the emergency department. That's been historically a a point where they run out of space. Um, that being said, uh, you know they have these urgent cares as well, and uh, frequently are closing early at this point in time due to staffing issues. I, I wonder that even if you're increasing the size of the ER, how are you going to adequately staff that? Um, you're already closing urgent cares some days in the early afternoon because of capacity. Um, you have some places like Confluence, which is not Samaritan, closing on the weekends because they don't have positions. I mean, a, a look needs to be had at how you're actively going to staff, even if you did say there's a larger footprint, how you're going to staff it. Yeah, it doesn't matter what size of building you have. If you can't get people in it, then it doesn't matter, right? And I know the when I was in the hospital board 20 years ago, one of the big bones of contention with physicians was that, you know, the hospital was closed to admissions a lot of times and it had nothing to do with bed capacity, had to do with staffing, and that was the med surge unit um, commonly. I don't know how that how the med surge unit is staffed now, but commonly they're, they're close to admissions and we have to transfer patients um, out of town because of lack of staffing. So 20 years later, it seems like we're in that same boat. So why is that? Um, I think it's you know been a revolution of uh, COVID and increase in temporary staffing and then the desire to bring costs back under control. Um, I think too much has been spent with, you know, temporary staffing, albeit you have to do what you need to do to maintain your household capacity. So if temporary staffing is what you need to do, then you need to look at partnering with some of those places to maintain care for the community. You can't just simply say, okay, well, it's expensive. We don't want to do it. Um, you've got to make some, you know, hard decisions and um, see what you can't do to promote those people staying in the community themselves rather than relying on it, you need to look at what you're doing to try to get people to stay. Um, because in temporary staffing, you know, they go all sorts of places. They're not, they're, they're kind of like hired guns. Yeah, um, temporary. Yeah. And if you don't treat your workers in the right manner, then they're just going to keep going for that paycheck because they realize that all you are is a paycheck. Yeah, exactly. So um, as we wind this podcast up, tell me, what specifically are you going to do different than the other five members of the board if you do get elected, uh, the other four members of the board if you do get elected? What are you specifically going to do different? I think go and communicate with the positions directly. I can be a resource to them to get their thoughts and points heard. Um, I can provide better input and have better relationships being a physician myself um, and understand where they're coming from. And in reality, that's kind of the starting point of recruitment and maintaining people in this community, as well as work with the nursing directors to try to understand what their concerns are, um, whether it be the mother-baby unit or the medical-surgical unit. Um, I think there's seen difficulties across all, all facets, and they need to be recognized for their efforts during complicated times, and as well as um, the ones that did elect to stay as full-term employees you know, what we can do to kind of keep them in that capacity and not let them walk away to temporary staffing companies. Absolutely. Um, so is there, are you, are you, you're running against the incumbent? Yes. Right. So is there anybody else? So will, be, will there be a primary? Uh, there is a primary currently. Uh, ballots have been mailed out and I would uh, encourage everybody to go look at the ballots, vote. Um, your voice is important um, in all cases. Uh, there's been historically low turnouts in Grant County and anything we can do to increase that, you know, we're happy to. Um, there's three people running. There's myself, Elliot DeLong, and Catherine Christian, who is the incumbent. Okay. 
And so you and Elliot DeLong are in the primary. Uh, all three of us are. The top two move on. Oh, oh, oh yeah, 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 yeah. That makes sense. And then, um, well, I will tell you, speaking of every vote counts, when I ran over 20 years ago, I won by like 60-some votes, beat a 20-year incumbent, and made some major changes in the hospital. Um, so every vote does count for sure. So um, go out and send in your uh, mail-in ballots and vote for vote for a doctor. Um, Dr. Penix is well qualified. I think uh, we need more type more physician staff on or physicians on hospital boards. Um, they are obviously the most qualified person in the medical community. Unfortunately, they don't get treated like that. And I think it's about time that instead of hospital administrators um, running hospitals, I think physicians do. I think physicians should. And I will tell you that not that long ago, 25, 30 years ago, the doctors called the shots, not the hospital administrators. And the doctors still should call the, call the shots. They need to take medicine back. Um, doctors are the most qualified people to run healthcare. They're the most educated. They should be running healthcare, not someone with an MBA, not some hospital administrator. Um, we need to make sure that physicians are running healthcare. Vote for Dr. Brandon Penix. Brandon, how would you like to end the show? Thank you, and I appreciate any vote. I, I will attempt to serve our community, and if anybody ever wants to get in touch, it's uh, commissioner at nwmedicalgroupwa.com. Awesome, and I think you do have a Facebook out there too, right, Brandon? Yes, we have Facebook and everything else as well uh, in terms of social media that you can reach out to us as well. Awesome, love it. So thank you, listeners and viewers, for tuning in. And Wednesday, tune in to our podcast, 8 a.m. to 9 a.m., Pacific Standard Time, uh, Health Solutions with Sean and Janet Needham. Thank you for tuning in.